Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. It is good to be in the presence of the Lord. If you are glad to be in the presence of the Lord, in the Lord this morning, right where you are, in your homes, if you're in your car, wherever you are, just thank God right now for just allowing you one more opportunity uh, just to praise him for waking you up on this morning. I am Joseph Aiken, one of the pastors here on staff. And if you haven't been with us, we've been in this sermon series called Back to School. This is week seven of the Back to School, and it's also the last week of Back to School. So I know you're sad, the last day of school. That's the, the, the worst one. But uh, if you have questions or anything, feel free to shoot us some text messages with your questions. They can be on topic, off topic. Uh, Chris, what he does is he takes the, uh, his podcast and answer all of these questions. So feel free to text all those questions in. If I say something, challenge me. If we want to hear it, we love you guys. So please send your questions. But uh, in this sermon series, we've been going over different identities of what it means to be a disciple maker. Uh, and this arguably could be one of the hardest ones for some people. I know it's not the easiest because some people would say it's finances. For this week, it's witness, being a witness. And uh, we're back to school. What better way to kind of finish this off would be my last year. If you don't know, my last year of teaching was a couple years ago. And as a teacher, uh, I love I love the kids. I love working with students. I was a high school teacher, and it was a fun job for me. But I knew it was going to be my last year, so I kind of set it up to where my job would be. I was going to be an interventionist. And what that is, is they, they go in the classroom, they help students one-on-one or in small groups, and they're working with the students just to kind of get them over that hump or maybe a subject or something they don't understand. And so I was like, yeah, this is going to be a great year. I'm not going to have a lot of work. I'm not going to have the grade papers, right? I just go pull the students. I get them. Then I send them back. No attendance, anything. And as circumstances allowed, I ended up having to get a classroom. So I go from having zero students to, to worry about to having 100 students. Oh, Lord, I don't want to do this. And not only that, I was teaching a couple of subjects that I hadn't even taught before in math. And one of them was like a senior level math class that all the seniors, uh, well, seniors who didn't really like math, this is the class they took just to get a credit, right, to get out of school. And if you remember when you was a senior, um, this wasn't the, the best group of kids all the time, which is fine. You know, I love being relational with the kids and it's like we're going to get through this. But, you know, this was my last year, and God knew what he was doing and giving me the worst student he had ever given me in the nine years that I was teaching. Uh, this student, um, I didn't like him. And I've never said that really about students. I mean, students have gotten on my first and last nerves. He got on all of them. Uh, he got on all of my nerves. And this student, there was times we was in the classroom, he cussed me out, and there was times he just, he had to be right. He felt privileged, like, you're going to do it my way, and... I didn't like him. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I, I didn't try to reach him because of how disrespectful he, he was. It, it, I, I remember this one occasion that uh, he was cussing me out, talking bad to me, and even the students in the classroom didn't like it. And I had a student get up ready to fight him over me. And so this, this was that moment, right? And what could happen in those moments, and I know you're listening like, well, and I know some of you understand because right now you have a student at home that you, you want to fight too, and it's your own kid. Uh, but <laughs> imagine, imagine that as a teacher, it's my last year, I wasn't even supposed to be in the classroom, and God gives me this one student, and I have an opportunity to try to knock down whatever walls or barriers he has up, the reason he's doing whatever he's doing, why he lashes out at me all the time, every, every time he was in, in the classroom, and I took that opportunity, and uh, 
I did nothing with it, right? I didn't want to reach him. I, I was okay with this being the one I just kind of let get away. I was fine with that. And thinking about it, you're like, oh, well, you know, just one ain't bad. But when I think about it, I think about what Christ did on the cross and what he's called me to do. And it made me think about my witness, right? How is that being a witness for the Lord? How is that being a witness for God? And, and so one of the reasons, and that's, that's the topic for today, being a witness, being, you know, evangelizing and one of those things, one of the reasons we resist being a witness, right? One of the reasons we do this, and it's only one point for this today, is, is we aren't intentional. We are not intentional. We don't take all those moments, and if you're taking notes, just write that word down, intentional. We have to be uncomfortably intentional, comfortably intentional. We have to be intentional. And so that's where we're going to go on this morning when we think about the opportunities that God sets before us. I want you to really ask your question about your intentionality in every situation that you're in, on your jobs, at home, with your family. Are you really being intentional? And so if you go with me with a word of prayer as we prepare to go to the Lord. Father God, thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you for another opportunity to stand before your people, God, and present your word. God, I pray that I decrease so that you may increase, God. That there be nothing to me, God, but it's all of you and that your word goes forth and ministers to your people, God. That they hear from you and are given an example uh, that we know how to do this. How did you call us to witness and, and in what manner? And so, God, as we go deeper, God, just uh, open up our spiritual ears to hear you, God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 4. Open your Bibles up to John chapter 4, and I know some of you are at home, but when you have it, feel free to type in or say amen, John chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of background of what's going on. Uh, if you're familiar with this, this is the story of the woman at the well. You know, popular story, if you've been in church a little bit, you've heard this story at least once, at least once. And even if you haven't been in church, there's this story about the woman at the well. Well, it's right on the cusp of a story about a Pharisee named Nicodemus we see in chapter 3. This man who was a religious leader, he was a Pharisee, like he was a ruler of people, he had some money, you know, but he knew and recognized who Jesus was. He recognized Jesus' power, who he was, that he was sent by God, he knew. And it's important for us to understand because later on we hear him having this conversation with Jesus. And John chapter 3 verse 16 Arguably one of the most popular scriptures in the Bible, for God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life, depending on what version you grew up in. I was that new King James, King James, so everlasting life, right? And so, so now we're at that point and we pivot into chapter four. So in chapter three, remember, he's having this conversation with someone who knew him, and now we're about to approach Another conversation with another individual, uh, with someone who didn't recognize Jesus, who didn't know his power, his strength, and who he was, right? Jesus is about to live out what it means to uh, be sent for the world, what it, what it looks like to love the world. And, and in this sample, and so if you would, we're going to start at verse 4. Verse 4 reads like this, and he had to pass through Samaria. So my first point, I was stop there. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Simple point. I know for some of you, you're thinking, oh, that's it? That's what we're going to read? 
it's important for you to understand just kind of what this looks like. In this time, uh, this city of Samaria, if you knew who the Samaritan were, Samaritans were, uh, you didn't go there. The Jews saw them as impure, as a people group who were filthy because they were half-breeds. They were half-Jew, actually, Gentile, like because of back in, back in the Old Testament. So here it comes, all full circle where it's like you're not supposed to go through Samaria because it's dirty. And when you're, when you're Jesus, high priest, you're clean, there are certain people you don't affiliate yourself with. But here Jesus is being told, you, I have to go through Samaria. And so one of the things I want you to understand is that there's places that you're supposed to go that you won't want to go. Because it's easy to look on a map and say, oh, this is the shortest route. Yeah, I'm going to go through there. Ah, let's be real. If I was to paint a picture of the tensions during this time, I think for us to really, really understand, think 1950s, right? Me as a, a black man going through a predominantly white town and what that would look like by myself and the fear and the, frust- and the just different things like that and me trying to get out as quick as I can. It'd probably be easier just for me to take the long way around. So I don't have to worry about any stress, any, frust- any problems that could come about. The reason Jesus went through this was actually to, to, to leave a problem because the Pharisees and everybody heard he was baptizing, he was saving people. He's doing all these things. He's like, ah, it's kind of getting too hot right now. Let me go on here to this town where it's even hotter. But he had to go. Think there are some things that you have to do. There are some places you're supposed to go. For some of us, it's on our jobs. When you're thinking about this thing called witnessing, evangelizing, oftentimes we believe that it's only supposed to be for the pastors, the leaders, the community group shepherds, the, the elders. These are the only people that are supposed to be doing this. But what God is trying to get us to see through this story is that we're all called to be disciple makers. We're all called to evangelize. We're all called to tell our stories. You don't have to do it at church. Do it on your job, in your neighborhood, in your homes, with your family, that God is placing you in specific providential places that he has your cover and he's ordained and fixed your path to cross there. And I know, I know we get scared at times and uh, we just don't know what to say. And Jesus is going to set us up and teach us exactly what we need to do. And so for the past few weeks, you know, we've been doing back to school and first thing in, in the bag that God had given me. You know, the last day of school, one of the things you did all the time was what? Have a party, right? I was a chip man because I don't know what people would bring. You wanted to make sure that it was at least one thing on the list that you would like. So you brought what you wanted. You wasn't worried about what everybody else wanted. So I bring the chips. Even now, if I'm going to bring chips or if I'm going to tell people, bring some Cool Ranch. These are my favorite chips. Cool Ranch. I can eat this bag just like right now sitting here. And so what I do, though, when I get my bag of chips, my Cool Ranch chips, that is, I look through. Anybody else like Cool Ranch? Y'all like Cool Ranch chips? Okay. Right? So what you do is you look through and you find the most seasoned one, right? <laughs> Am I the only one that does it? You look for like that one. And my wife, she tells me, she says, Why, what are you doing? I say, I got to find the best ones. And I look, and I'll put it back in the bag if it don't fit just perfect, right? And I'm looking for the best chip to eat because that's the one with the most season. And what my wife told me one time when I was doing that, she said, Joseph. I said, yes. She said, what are you doing? I said, you know what I'm doing. She said, but you're going to eat the whole bag, so it doesn't matter which one comes out first. (laughs) Right? And you think about that jokingly, but that's how we view our witness. 
right? We're, we're tossing the bag around looking for the perfect way, the perfect opportunity, the perfect person that looks like us, that acts like us, that comes from the same background that I know I will be comfortable with. And we don't even mess with the other chips, right? We just want the ones that are perfect in alignment with me and my plan and my purpose. I'm going to minister to you because I know I'm more comfortable with you. And what Jesus is, is about to reveal to us is that he had to go uh, by cultural standards, put himself in a position of uncomfort. And for Jesus, this is Jesus, I know. He's not uncomfortable. He, he came to do the will of the Father. But for us, we're sitting there tossing a bag around waiting. Can I talk to them? No, I can't talk to them. I'd be uncomfortable. And you, you get this prompting and this impression by the Holy Spirit to say something, but uh, God, not them. I don't know. They may say something I don't like. And so let, let, let's see what Jesus does. Let's see what Jesus does. Look at verse 7. Uh, He says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me drink. Jesus asked for a drink from her jar. And I hope some of you are thinking, well, what does that have to do with anything? He's thirsty. He's hot. It's about 12 o'clock in the afternoon. You ask for water. That's what you do. Well, let me me paint a picture. Again, remember the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. And so imagine during this time, this woman... She's walking to this well that she walks to all the time. She's by herself, which isn't normal. We'll get to that. But she's by herself, and she sees a man. For the, you know, she sees a man at the well that she usually goes to by herself. And this man asks her for some water. There's four things you, you have to understand about this situation already. One of the things is that she knew that she shouldn't even be talking to him and that he shouldn't be talking to her. Men didn't talk to women. Right, because she was a woman, that's the first thing. They shouldn't even be talking to each other. Culturally, they shouldn't. But not only was she a woman, he was a man, but he was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. And so she begins to question him, like, hey, dude, why are you talking to me? She knows that they're not supposed to talk. You know, he's Jewish. Why are you even asking me for a drink? Because to ask for her drink, because this is intimate, what he's saying. He's saying, let me drink. Out of your cup. This is what he's saying. Let me drink out of your cup. And that reminded me of something. Uh, for those of you, if you have kids, I have two kids. And I'm not going to lie. I, when I first had kids, I love sharing my food with them. I do. I love sharing food with my kids. And uh, I remember once I was making a sandwich, a good old sandwich, have my, cut my, sliced my avocados on it, little turkey, tomatoes. I even put pickles, mayo. Sprinkle a little seasoning on them, right? I bent into my sandwich, and my J4 probably was about four or five at the time. And he said, Daddy, can I have a bite? Sure, son. You know, your mouth's still small. You take little bites. It's fine. <laughs> so I give him a bite of my sandwich. He eats it. He says, mmm, Daddy. I'm like, yeah, it's good. He said, yeah, that's good, Daddy. And then he looks at me again. He's just staring at me. I said, yeah. He said, can I have some more? I said, sure, son. He takes another bite. I said, that's good. He's like, yeah. And he looks at me and said, Dad, that's a real good sandwich. And, and if you're a parent, you already know where this is going. My son eventually says, Daddy, can I have your sandwich? And as a father, I, I promise you, I love those moments to just to be able to. And then that moment, was like, man, I only got two bites off a sandwich, and he already wants some. But still, I share my sandwich. I give him my sandwich. But the one thing we stopped sharing a long time ago was our water. If you've ever seen a kid drink out of a water bottle, even after not having even food, you just start seeing stuff float around in it. To share water with someone like that is, it's a big deal. 
especially then when you're talking about this unclean Samaritan woman. And Jesus is literally saying, let me drink from your drawer. Let me have some of your water out of your cup. Unheard of. We shouldn't even be talking and you asking to drink out of the same water fountain that I'm drinking out of. You're asking to put your lips to, to, to experience this for me. One of the things as, as we move forward in our witness, as we get a deeper understanding of what God has called us to do, is understanding in order to build relationships, to get to a place to where you can minister and, and witness and, and tell people about the gospel and the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, you have to build relationships. Because we see Jesus say he had to go. So he went there to her. He didn't go around. He met her where she was at. She didn't meet him where he was at. He went to her where he knew she was going. See, too often we wait for this perfect way, like I said, that's like, ooh, we're going to ride this one. When God is saying, no, this is where I want you to go. I need you to move. We're the ones that are going to create the waves. Right? We're the ones that are going to do the work. I need you to be uncomfortable and be willing to knock down these walls. Remember, she was unclean. She was a woman. They had different religious beliefs. This wasn't supposed to happen. And here God is knocking down these cultural walls, these uh, religious walls, and talking to this woman. And to, to just telling her about who he is and what he's done. And so in that moment, they begin to have a conversation. Where he begins to tell her that who he is and, and, and that if she wants to experience from a, a water from a well, a spring that'll never run dry. She has to go through him. She has to. And she's experiencing this moment and it's life changing. Literally life changing. And this is what happens. The disciples, they were off getting some food for Jesus and they come back. Look at verse 27. We're going to skip down because we're talking about the intentionality of our life. We're talking about the intentionality of our walk and what Jesus is doing. And in this moment, look what happens. Verse 27, he says, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. And I found this interesting that they've been following Jesus. They've been called to be his disciples. And in this moment, all they could see was the physical. All they could see what was on the outside. All they could see is that, ooh, he's not supposed to be talking to a woman. What is he doing? This is the man we following. You see, we limit ourselves and we put up these boundaries, these walls and what we're called to do by not reaching out to the people that culture and tells us we're not supposed to. That society says it's not okay. On your job. No, no, no. You can't talk to nobody there. In the grocery store. No, no, no. You can't. And even even now. For some of us, it's great to be able to put on a mask and cover up and not have to smile and speak and do anything. One of the things I've learned. The easiest way to minister, to witness, to even with high school students and reach them is just, just ask them who they are. If you're wondering and asking yourself, well, I don't know how to witness. You know, that's y'all job. Y'all do that. That's just not my calling. We've all called, we're all called to do it. And we'll learn real quick how we're called to do it. Because the first thing Jesus does is kind of just break the ice by saying, I'm thirsty. Can I have something to drink? Simple. That's how you're not. Hey, hi, my name is Joseph. What's your name? And begin to engage in conversation and learn who that person is. That's what we're called to do in witnessing. And see, they missed that whole big picture. They missed it all. Jesus is painting this picture before them, and he's talking to a woman. That's all they see. He's not saving her. He's talking to a woman. He's not ministering her. He's talking to a woman. That's what they saw. Then it says, but no one said anything 
What do you seek or why are you talking to her? Look at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town, into town and said to the people, before we go into what she said to the people, what did she come for? What did the woman come for? She came for water. And as she was coming to drink some water or get some water to fulfill a thirst, to fulfill a need, a physical need, she began to engage in conversation with this man named Jesus. And in that engagement, uh, we are led to believe because she left her water jar there that she was satisfied. That something happened in that interaction with her and Jesus that made her say, you know what? I have something that I came for, but this physical need has been met. Where when we seek to, to please or to seek our pleasures only, we become dissatisfied because we always want more. If it's a job, we want more money. If it's a woman, there's something about her. That's, we keep chasing something better, something more beautiful. If it's whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you. I don't. You know what it is for you, but we're chasing after things that God has called us. He said, hey, let me handle your physical needs. I need to meet your physical need. And you see, immediately when her spiritual need was met, she, she was sat, so much satisfied that she left what she came for. She didn't even get an opportunity to fill the water jug. She just left it. And so I don't know what it is that you're holding on to that you need to leave with Jesus. I don't know what it is that is separating you from your relationship or that is weighing you down or that is causing you uh, to move a little bit slower because you're trying to hold it on your own. And God is saying, give it to me. Leave it right here at the well and watch me do a work in you. Look at this experience. Look at what she does when she is satisfied. Verse 29 says, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Her experience with Jesus, her experience with Jesus caused her to uh, just be satisfied. Her experience with Jesus caused her to just go tell her story. Y'all remember this time uh, that women used at this time when they go to the water, that was, that was like their hangout. Like this was the time, Megan, where they went and they talked Enneagrams and talked about who they can be in relationships with. And like, I, he's an eight, I'm a five, whatever works out. I don't know what everything means. But this is that time, right? They go together. They go in the morning early when it's not hot and they're hanging out and they're talking. This woman was ostracized. What did Jesus tell about this woman? Well, she had five husbands and the one that she was with wasn't even her husband. And, and so because of those things that have happened in her life, now she's by herself going in at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, the hot sun to go get her water alone. She can't hang out with nobody. Think about it. What woman would want their man hanging out? What woman would want to hang out with a woman that been with all these different men? Like, girl, she fast. I don't know. She might try to steal your husband. Right? You wouldn't do it. And here she is by herself. And God says, look, I know who you've been with. I know the one you're with now isn't even your husband. He said, but I love you. And so the same people that ostracized her, the same people that didn't want to hang out with her, what did she do when she became satisfied and when she became fulfilled by what Jesus said? What did she do? She ran to them, the ones that wouldn't talk to them. She ran to them and said, look, I know a man. He just told me everything about myself. That's, that's it. That's it. That's the... That's the last item, y'all. Hold on. 
There is no item because the last item is your story. The last item is your story. You wonder, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? You're supposed to tell your story. You're supposed to tell how Jesus changed your life. I can't tell your story as good as you. You can't tell my story as good as me. There are some people you were called to reach that I will never reach. And so when you understand that, when you understand it doesn't have to be fancy, you don't have to be a pastor or an elder, or you don't have to be all that, you begin to understand that all I have to do is tell my story? That's it? Yes. When if, if you shared how much you love Jesus and what he's done for your life, then people will come to that. Don't think it has to be on a pulpit behind a podium with music playing. No, it is on the jobs. It will be you stumbling across them maybe in a grocery store on a walk, hanging out with your kids. God just says, tell your story. There really isn't an item. I had somebody there say, Joseph, what did you forget? And, and I said, I didn't forget nothing. There really was no item. Like, I want you to tell your story when you minister to people. And so the question today is, is this. Who will you tell? Who will you tell? Jesus came, and I know, I know, it's, it's weird. It's that simple. It's weird that that's all you have to do, but that's what we see. This woman experienced the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ in that moment, literally in that moment. And the very thing that she came for, the very thing that she thought would satisfy her, the very thing that she thought would give her fulfillment, we knew it was temporary because she had to keep coming. He got to, she got to experience truly what it meant to, to receive something that wouldn't run dry, a well, a spring of water, of everlasting life. That happened in that moment for her. And she couldn't help but share it. She couldn't help but share it. Think, of, think about your favorite movie, your favorite food. Do people know that it's your favorite? Yeah, they do. I guarantee you if I was to ask you your favorite movie and tell me your favorite line from the movie, you probably could quote the whole movie. Right? That's what we do with things we love. We share it. And so when she experienced that, she knew she was in love and she shared it. Look, he accepted me despite all the reasons that no one else has. God wants to welcome you into his family. Like he wants you to have everlasting life. That's why he sent his only begotten son so that we might be saved. That's why he, he sent his son to die on this cross, so that we might be saved. Even when I was still going to do wrong, he sent his son. Even when I was thinking those thoughts, he still sent his son. God wants you right where you're at. He wants to meet you at a well and you to have this life-changing experience that causes you to go tell somebody. So my question for you on this morning is, who will you tell? So if you'll pray with me as we begin to move forward, ask God to allow you to truly experience that type of love that causes you to go tell somebody. Father God, thank you. God, we thank you that you are perfect in all of your ways. God, we thank you that there is none like you. God, we thank you that we can experience you, God. God, that we can experience your love your kindness, God, and we can go share. There's so much of it that we can share, God, and so we thank you for that. So my prayer right now, God, is that you will cover us, that you will keep us, that you will allow us to see witnessing just a little bit different, a little bit easier, 
Because all we have to do, God, is tell our story. All we have to do is tell people about you, God. I, I thank you, God. I praise you for who you are. It's all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, uh, this is our prayer and confession time. This is a time where you go before God and you ask him just to forgive you for your mess-ups. You ask him to forgive you for those times and those moments you didn't allow yourself to do what he said, that you went around the town when you should have been going through, when you went around that person, you avoided that person on your job or avoided that person at church or whatever it may be. Begin to confess whatever it is.